gone, whew. It's still just a little chilly. We've been trying to get warm a little bit all morning. It is rough, and we completely understand those who are watching online for doing that. We get it. It's a little chilly this morning. So I want to thank everybody for being here. We are going to be taking a look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. I was sharing with Leah last night as we were kind of just talking over things and like, this is one of those difficult passages for me to preach. Like, it's pretty straightforward as far as the scripture goes. But it's difficult for me because I'm not a dad. I'm not a parent. Um, and, and that's kind of one of the great heartbreaks, honestly, of our lives, is that God has not blessed us in that way yet. Um, I say yet because I hold out hope, right? I'm pushing 50, but come on, you know? Um, <clears throat> Woo, that's right, Abram and Sarah, Abram and Sarai, so, right? So, but no, um, just the idea of that. And then she kind of reminded me, though, that we got stopped in Walmart Friday night by a group of about, I don't know, it felt like eight or nine boys, all wanting to show me pictures of the trucks they had bought, that I, they'd had me in class at some point in time. And so I do understand a little bit about what it is to work with kids, having 25 years now or so in the school system, working with young people and having that influence. And so... I was a little encouraged by that, but it, it is there. And so we are looking at gospel-centric families today as we talk about this. So let's go ahead and take a look at um, our scripture for today. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 6, looking at verses 1 through 4. If you don't have it, it'll be up on the screen. We do read from the uh, English Standard Version. Here we go. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not promote, provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you thanking you so much for uh, the day that you've given to us, thanking you for this time that we can gather, thanking you for a place that is warm and dry on a cold, blustery day. Father, I pray that as we go into this time when we take a look at gospel-centric families and what it means to be a family that is, that is centered around your salvation and your grace, that we as a family of Christ here within this body, and we as individual households that make up that body of Christ, we can, we can live this out, that we can be gospel-centric in all that we do. Father, I thank you again for just the time we have to, to worship you through the hearing of your word through the response to your word as well. Let us glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to thank Chris um, for taking a, a handling of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 and, and 20, or through 33 last Sunday. Like, he really got into that. It was a wonderful reminder to us as husbands, the weightiness of our calling towards our wives, the, the heft of our roles within a family. Paul is continuing this, this family theme in, in verses chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and he's going to continue it on a little bit in 5 through, through 9 as well. He's going to keep talking about this, this household and how your household works. Um, and the submission that he mentions back in, in chapter 5, verse 21, right, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, that kind of submission where reverence towards Christ and Christ submitting to the Father, he's, he's kind of talking about this, and he's now giving us examples of how that works within our, our households. And the first thing he talks about is children, and they're called to be obedient to their parents. 
And then parents are to love and nurture their children, raising them up in the Lord. Paul writes this as he's, he's writing this, he's reminding children to obey their parents in the Lord. Paul states, this is a, a, in a manner that, that gives moms equal bearing as dads where obedience is concerned. And this is kind of important in the time in which Paul's writing this, right? It's this, this idea that it's the positive duty of children to obey both parents. In a Christian household where, where mom is submissive to dad, in a manner that as we see described in, in uh, chapter 5, then it does not exclude her from any parental dignity. Mom still has the same amount of parental weight and a parental importance as dad. It's not that dad is this overbearing beast who says, this is the rule, this is the law, and my house, my sovereignty, my king, my kingdom. That's not how this works, and it's not what Paul is describing here at all. What Paul is describing here is he's talking about children obey your parents. That actually elevates the mom to equal footing as far as importance of raising and rearing her children with the dad. She's the model of obedience to the Lord for the kids. And this type of obedience is right and just because it conforms to God's holy commandment. We see this. And obedience is that initial step in honoring your parents. I love that, that Paul evokes Exodus 20, 12 in the Ten Commandments, verses 2 and 3, he says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, there are other commands in Scripture that include a promise. This is the only one of the Ten Commandments that includes a promise. None of the other Ten Commandments have a promise. This one has a promise. You obey your mom and your dad, you're going to live long. Right? Live your mom, obey your mom and dad, and you're going to live long. This command in the Old Testament, was not taken lightly. Later, this was Exodus 20, we get the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 21, verse 15, whoever curses his father or mother is to be put to death. Exodus 21, 17, whoever curses his father and his mother shall be put to death. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother, his blood is upon him. Leviticus 29. There were provisions in the Old Testament for unruly children who did horrible things to their parents to be eliminated, to be put to death. It's amazing that the Mosaic Law gives these provisions for children who strike their parents, who curse their parents, to be put to death. The level of disobedience and this level of dishonor is, is grave. And then we read what Paul says about disobedient children. He regards disobedient children equal to murderers, to the heartless, to the treacherous, to the slanderous, to the abusive, to the insolent, to the, to the inventors of evil, to the unholy, and the haters of God. And he talks about this in Romans 1, uh, verse 30, and in, in 2 Timothy uh, 3, 2. And these are, this list is kind of there. So, so why is this so important? Why is this so weighty? It's because we first learn to be obedient to God through being obedient to godly parents. Being obedient is, is a matter of life or death. For the Israelites of the Old Testament, it was a matter of life in the promised land. For followers of Christ today, it, that promised land is now eternal life in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's not teaching that salvation here is a, is a matter of our works and it comes from obedience, but he's showing us that obedience is evidence in our children knowing God. 
knowing God and learning to live in Him and learning to live in His ways, learning to live in His commands, results in receiving His blessing. And honoring parents isn't just about obedience. It's also about blessing your parents. I love what, what Proverbs 31, 28 says. Is this is Solomon writing to, to his, his son in these letters, these Proverbs, and about this woman wisdom. And he says, her children will rise up and call her blessed in Proverbs 31, 28. Godly parenting brings about a blessing in raising godly children. Right? Now, much like his message to husbands and wives, Paul here addresses those who are to be submissive first. Then he addresses the head of the household. So first, the, the children are to be submissive. They're to be obedient to their parents. And then he goes to the head of the household. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. He starts off with this negative action that we need to avoid. This is an act of repentance, right? That, that when we avoid this negative action, we, we, we stop the negative behavior and we replace it with a positive godly behavior. A repentant father living a godly life will be actively involved in raising his children and will be watching to make sure his attitudes and his behaviors do not provoke his children to undue anger. It's not easy. But what Paul's driving at here is that a domineering or thoughtless father's actions would be a discouragement to his children. Right? Those of us that grew up holding a flashlight under the hood of a car for a dad know that we can get just as angry as any dad could. And there were times that, like, I can't see where that finger's pointing for me to point the flashlight at that finger. I don't know how to get it there, and that's undue anger from me toward my dad. Right? I've been there. I see some heads nodding. It was a frustrating moment. But fathers are to take the time to replace that provocation and what does he say? He says, bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents play this crucial role in bringing up children in the Lord. I, I think one of the things that we're seeing in, in, is, especially in this, this day and age where we're seeing a lot of deconstruction or ex-evangelical or these phrases like this, where, where people who are in their 30s, 40s, and sometimes even their early 50s or even younger, are, who were raised in the church, baptized, had an experience, are walking away from the faith completely. Why is it that they're doing that? I think part of it is because we became program-driven in our congregations, and the parents thought, well, I'm bringing my kid to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. The church is raising my child to know Christ, and we're seeing evidence, maybe, that they didn't. Right? Parents play a crucial role in bringing children up in the Lord. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 6. As, the, as, as Moses is giving the law to the people, he's reminding them that the parents are to teach that. Parents are called to have conversations about the Word of God with their children. Parents are called to have spiritual conversations about the word of uh, with their children. Parents are called to teach their children the word of God. And it should just be a common practice in the home. Maybe it starts with reading a psalm or a proverb every morning while you're having breakfast. Maybe it starts with meals 
and, and prayers at meals. Maybe it develops into devotional times and, and family Bible studies. But it is important. It is necessary. It is, it is commanded by God, Old Testament and New Testament, for parents to be playing an important part of that. I do find it's interesting that Paul specifically addresses fathers in verse 4. Right? It's, it's not that he's excluding moms. Right? In verses 1 through 3, we see that, that both moms and dads are equal when obedience is called for from children. Right? And, and I would say to you that, that both moms and dads are, are equal in training and teaching their children in the Word of God. So why does Paul address fathers specifically in verse 4? One reason is simple. We've already established that fathers are the head of the household biblically. The father who is submitting unto Christ is that submission there puts him in the head of that household. He's obedient to God in that way. It's the father in the household who models what being obedient to God the father looks like. Right? The father himself is, is kind of a shadow representation of God the father in the household. He's a loving, benevolent provider who teaches and disciplines. If the husband is, a lo is, is loving his wife as Christ loved the church, if he is giving himself up for her, if he's working to sanctify her through his sacrificial life, and if he's cleansing her with the word of God, then that will affect everything else that's happening in the rest of the household. I think another reason that Paul addresses fathers here specifically is he does not underestimate the influence that fathers have in the family. Fathers are of the utmost importance in the lives of their children. He said, I, I've been working in the public schools for almost 25 years now, right around the 25-year mark. And, and I can tell you what, I, I could stand here and I could bemoan the breakdown of the, of the, of the family, but I'm not going to do that. What I will say is when students come to me and they talk to me about how their dads took time out to help them with something, whether that was homework or a project or if it was just I got to spend the day with my dad on, on, on Saturday, we went to a car show or we did this or we went to that, or I helped my dad change out the toilet tank, you wouldn't think that, that kids would get so excited about that. But those kids' faces light up when they're talking about their dads in a way that I don't see when the kids talk about their moms. Sorry, moms. I think the kids love you just as much. You're going to kiss every boo-boo, and it's going to make it better. But when dad takes that time, there's something special for the kid. And I've seen it. Now, I know that that's all anecdotal, but I see it, and I see it regularly. Kids want to do things with their dad in a way that's different than they want to do things with their mom. Dads are important influencers within the home. There's some really interesting statistical evidence that kind of backs that up. There was a six-year Swiss study that looked at religious practices in the family. And in that study, it was noted that if both father and mother attend regularly, 33% of the children who are adults now will be regular churchgoers. 41% of those children will be irregular but will still attend church. And only a quarter of those children will not be churchgoers at all or not practicing any kind of faith. If the dad is irregular in his church attendance and mom's pretty consistent, 3% of the children will become regular church attenders. That dropped 30% in dad being inconsistent. 
59% will be irregular attenders, and 38% of those children, when they become adults, will not attend at all. And if the father is not going at all, if he's a non-practicing, he doesn't have any kind of faith background, and mom is a regular church attender, only 2% of the children will become regular church attenders. Only 37% will be irregular or hit-and-miss church attenders. And over 60% of those children as adults will be lost to the church. See, we see huge diminishing values here when dad is not involved in the spiritual lives of the children. Now, here's an interesting thing. What happens if dad is the regular attender for worship and mom is not? That's not typically the case in, in, in America, right? It's typically mom and grandma. But what happens if dad is the regular attender of church worship and mom is, is irregular or not practicing? This is what was interesting in the study. The study found that 38% of the children whose dad was regular and mom was an irregular church attender, 38% of them stayed as adults in the church as regular attenders, and 44% of the children whose dad was a regular attender and mom was not an attender of church stayed in the church as adults. The dad made the difference. Now, Paul didn't have these kinds of statistics floating around out there, right? But he knew the power of a father's influence on the long-term spiritual well-being of children. Parents are important. They play a crucial role. God or, and it's a God-ordained role in the discipline and the discipleship of their children. Dads, your positive influence is greater than you think. Be encouraged by that. Know that, that when you spend time with those kids and you're reading Scripture to them and you're showing them and you're making it to church, your positive influence is important and they see it. Now, Paul mentioning the care and instruction of children is, is really significant anyway. right? The fact that he's saying, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is, this is kind of significant in the world of, of the Ephesians right? and, and, and how, when this was written. Scripture is instructing parents to train and teach all of their children, both boys and girls. And at the time, this was countercultural. Teaching kids anything was kind of countercultural, but specifically teaching both sets of children anything, because boys in this time were valued more than girls, right? The early church had high regard for children. Jesus taught this in Matthew 19, 4. He says, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for, such, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And earlier in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus used a small child from the crowd as an illustration to the, of the kind of faith that enters into the kingdom of heaven. Right? This is so different from how the Greco-Roman world in which this letter to the church was written, viewed children. That's just not how they looked at children in the first century. Unwanted children were often put in trash heaps, either to, to die or to be picked up, made into gladiators, slaves, or prostitutes. The church cares for and values children. This is why adoption and foster care should, should be an important value within the church. Right? It's why it should be encouraged. It's why it should be prayed for. It's why it should be supported. I, it, it reminds us 
that God adopted us from the trash heap of life and he has made us his children and heirs to his kingdom. And I'm encouraged to know that within this congregation, there have been foster parents. I'm encouraged to know that, that within this congregation and how this congregation has prayed for and has supported families that have gone through and are going through the adoption process. That encourages me. Let us, let us be a church that, that continues to imitate God by caring for the children in our community. We should hold out the gospel and, and welcome children the way that, that Jesus welcomes us. The church of Jesus Christ values children, and we should, we should value instructing them in the faith, and we do so by setting a Christ-centered example for kids. Now, I, I know the passage here doesn't explicitly say, set a good example for your kids, right? That's not what it's saying here, but, it, but it's kind of implied. Discipline and instruction are, are taught through example on, on many different levels. Kids observe so much of what we as adults do. I, I love watching like the little videos and the little reels when you see the little kid sitting next to dad on the couch and, and, and the little kid, dad takes a sip out of the mug and the little kid takes a sip out of the mug the same and he's watching dad or he's watching mom. Or if the little, ah, and you know, the little two-year-old will, ah, at the same, like they're watching everything we do. They're seeing it. They learn by example that way. And what they especially see is our relationship with the Lord. They see how we value the church. The first picture of God that, that children see is from their parents. They will see the sense of authority, love, and protection from those parents. Children will see how you prioritize the kingdom. Do you give to the church and its mission? Do you prioritize the gathering of the saints more than work or more than sports? Right? Do the children see you being humble and repentant? See, children are forming their ideas about and opinions about marriage from what they see in the home. Children learn obedience, respect, and submission when they watch their parents submit and obey God. Some have said that it takes a village to raise a child, and I get that idea. But I think a better way to say it is it takes an extended family to raise a child, right? It takes an extended family to raise a child. There's, there's no better extended family to raise your child in than the body of Christ within your local church. See, my dad was one of those non-church-going fathers when I was a child. Right? I really only got to see Pop come to real salvation and growth in Christ in the last two to three years of his life. And because of that, I am so grateful for the extended family of aunts and uncles, grandmas and grandpas that came from the church for me. I, I look into, into our congregation and I don't see a lot of young parents. I see a lot of empty nesters. I see some near empty nesters. I see folks that have grandkids. I, I see all these things. I encourage you guys, though, to be the aunts, the uncles, the grandmas, the grandpas, to the younger parents that you may know in the Lord. Take pride in the accomplishments of their children. You know, I'm, I'm going to be at graduation in May cheering for Emma, and I might even be shedding a tear like Jamie because we're proud of her. <laughs> 
right? Take pride in the accomplishments of the children within our congregation. Take pride in the accomplishments of the children that you know are that are being raised in the Lord. Be those good aunts and uncles to them. I love that, that if you know missionary kids, all the other missionaries in the community or in the area or the country, depending upon how few missionaries there are, all those other missionaries, those kids refer to those adults as aunts and uncles. It's the body of Christ loving on our young people, raising them up, bringing them to the Lord. Be, be the listening ear for those parents who are exasperated and at their wits' ends. I can think of the ladies within the church growing up that I know mom went to have coffee with them, not to have coffee, but to have a shoulder to cry on when things got tough at the house. And I'm grateful for those. These moments, these, these things, these are the gospel in action in the lives of the people of our church, the lives of the people around us. Be the gospel in action. So what does that mean for us today? What do we do with this? Well, this, this section of Scripture is kind of a direct application kind of Scripture, right? If, if you're a child, honor and obey your parents in the Lord. Children were made by God to glorify God. You glorify God by honoring your, and obeying your parents in the Lord. That's pretty easy. Kids, so how do you do it? How do you honor your parents? Well, one of the biggest ways is through proper attitude. It is not honorable to your parents if you huff and puff, whine and moan, pout and talk back to your parents. If you dishonor your parents, you dishonor God. If you're an adult child with living parents, it still applies, right? It still applies to us, but, but it's different now. We are to show them the proper respect and honor by giving them the care they need. 1 Timothy 5, verses 4 and 8 is, is one that always comes to my mind when I think of this. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first show godliness to their own household and make some return to their parents, for it is pleasing in the sight of God. For if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Hmm. Children should obey their parents. Children are called by the Lord to listen and to follow the instructions of their parents in the Lord. If children want to please God, they must obey their parents. Children will disobey. This is our sin nature, and it shows up. When disobedience happens, parents make it an opportunity to share the gospel. Children should obey their parents because it's right. Children who do not obey their parents become adults who shirk authority and incur trouble on themselves. Parents should not just encourage obedience, but require it. Children should obey their parents because it is a blessing and a safekeeping that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land what he says in verse 3. Now, here's the thing. We got to remember that this letter is a letter of instruction that was written to the church, not to unbelievers, right? It is assumed by Paul and by us that those who are hearing these instructions 
value children in the same way we see Jesus valuing children in the Gospels. It's a call for children to obey the godly instructions of godly parents. Children are not expected to be obedient if they are being put in harm's way by the parents. If a parent or loved one is abusive and the child has been told not to tell or to keep the secret, disobedience in this case would be preferable for the safety of the child. That's where we're at with that. And if you're a parent, this section teaches you to make disciples of your children, raise your children in such a manner that they follow Jesus. Now, there are two challenges here in this. First is not to provoke your children to anger. And I know, years and years and years of teaching public school, I know children can be infuriating sometimes. I know this. And they certainly can provoke us as adults into anger. I know this. But we have to remember that we are the adults in the situation. If you compare your children to others, if you discipline them inconsistently, or for reasons other than willful disobedience or willful defiance, or if you withdraw your affection from them, or even if you overprotect them, you run the risk of provoking them to anger. Be loving. Be fair. Be consistent. Remember they are kids. Right? I thought I was smart at 17 until I turned 21 and realized I was stupid. And then when I turned 25, I realized I was even dumber at 21 than I think I was at 17. We're all growing in wisdom as we grow in the Lord. And we have to remember that. This is, this is an important thing for us to remind ourselves of. We should express our love for our children regularly. Be excited for their accomplishments, even the little ones. I, I saw a parent um, who has a, has a, a friend from college who, whose son is now out on his own. He's, he's just, just graduated and, and getting his first job. And she was bragging on him. He's like, you know, when he's not in school anymore, I don't have the ability to brag about report cards like I used to. And I don't have the ability to, to brag about school accomplishments like I used to. And I don't have the ability to do that. But he was named by vote of wherever he works, employee of the month. And it's all the other employees that voted on him. And in 30 years for this guy, that may not mean a whole lot. But it means something now, and it's a little accomplishment that that mom and that dad could brag on for him, even as a grown-up kid. And those moments matter. They're important. Right? If we do those sorts of things, this will not invoke our children to anger, or provoke our children to anger. It might embarrass them a little bit, but not really to the point of anger. But it will show them that you as the parent, you're an encourager for them. Now, the second challenge is to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I love that phrase, bring them up. In, in English, it gets a little bit lost in translation. In, in the Greek, we see this as almost a gardening term, like providing, nourishing, feeding them, right? In, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's a very caring and loving way to teach a child. 
when you're bringing them up, there's, there's discipline and there is instruction involved. Instruction involves teaching, training, warning, admonishing, verbal instruction. Discipline, though, involves training and sometimes punishment. Discipline, though, is for our benefit. Paul has already instructed us in, in this book, in this letter, to be angry yet not sin. This means discipline and punishment must be under control. That may mean you take a cool-down period before you dole out the consequences. I've had to do that in my classroom. It happens. It's a real thing. All instruction and discipline that we give is to be of the Lord. We are called to teach biblical Christian instruction that honors and glorifies God. And the biggest thing we are to give to children is Jesus. We have got to give our kids, our young people, Jesus. Whether we're in the car, whether we're in the home, whether we're in the restaurant, we talk to our kids about Jesus. Talk about Jesus' incarnation. Talk about His ministry here on earth. Talk about His death. Talk about His resurrection. Talk about His glorious return. Talk about His lordship. Talk about submission to Jesus. Talk about Jesus. You can give your children no better gift, no better prize, no better treasure than Jesus. And when you talk about Jesus, talk about sin, talk about repentance, talk about grace, talk about redemption, talk about the cross, talk about being a new creation in Jesus Christ. And talk to them about man's chief end, to glorify God. Have dialogue, have discussion. Let your children ask questions, especially the hard ones. When they ask you the hard ones, this will drive you to dig deeper and to study more. Ask them questions, especially the hard ones. This will drive them to dig deeper and to think about their faith more. Find out what your children believe. Find out about what they have doubts about within Scripture. Find out about what they fear. Discuss and discern matters of their heart. Teach your children the whole story of the Bible, not just Bible stories. See, children should see Scripture as a book about God redeeming His creation through Jesus who is the hero of the story. And I know this may sound tough, and it is tough. And you're going to fail, and you're going to falter, and you're going to feel insufficient in your teaching. Sometimes at school, I look around my classroom, and I call it a success when I get the kid in the correct seat, a lunch in their belly, and on the right bus to go home. Take them as a win. You will have days just like that as a parent. You'll have days like that as a grandparent. That's okay. Sometimes just keeping your kid alive is, an, is a success. Take the win. Paul, when he writes his letter to the pastor Titus, told Titus that the grace of God instructs us for godliness. God and His grace is working in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit to give us strength. 
Elise Fitzpatrick, a biblical counselor, I love this. She says, the obvious difference between Paul and us is that Paul bragged about his weakness and we try to hide it. Don't hide your weakness. Admit them, confess them, seek God and his strength to get you through. His strength will be sufficient when you feel insufficient. And remember that as weak parents, weak grandparents, you have a mighty Savior. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, I thank you. I thank you that we have this time to be in your word and to look at this. Father, I pray that, that as we think about this and the instruction that we're called to give as, as folks who are raising kids within our, our congregations, within our churches, within our families, that you would give us the strength and the wisdom to do it well. You would encourage our, our young people to ask us tough questions, to make us dig deeper to find out more. You would encourage us to ask them hard questions, to know and build good relationships so that, that they can feel comfortable coming to us. Teach us to not provoke anyone to anger, but to be instructive and loving as we do so. Father, let us take this idea of, of obedience to parents and, and see that it's also about being obedient to you in the long run. Teach us to seek you above all else. Be submissive to you, obedient to you in your word, so that we may glorify you in all that we do. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things.